Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Travel Hub Podcast. Michelle Bouchard, your host for today's show. In this episode of our podcast, we are sharing part two of the Raise Your Tribes Cybersecurity IQ webinar session that was presented by Second Derivative in October of 2023. If you haven't listened to part one of this podcast series, I suggest you go back into our past episodes and do that now. The Raise Your Tribe Cybersecurity IQ webinar was our most attended in 2023, so we thought would be a great opportunity to share their message via podcast as well. So without further ado, please listen in to the powerhouse duo of Renita Stefano, CEO and founder of Second Derivative, and Tony Pepper, the CEO and founder of Pepper Consulting, as they wrap up their conversation about how you can bolster your team's cybersecurity knowledge. Well, I'm glad that you brought up the the topic though of, of mutable back, backups because as we're you know we're talking about risk, you know one of the things that we saw in the threat landscape was not only were the bad guys encrypting your systems, they were encrypting jacking up your backups so you couldn't recover, right? You don't have a choice now. You have to pay the ransom if it's if it's ransomware and so, you know that puts folks in a really really bad place. But that needs to become part of your strategy, which is how am how am I going to achieve offline backups? And I don't know if there's any folks from my old workplace, but they, you know, were, we were able to achieve something called immutable backups some time ago. But now I'm going to talk about, I think, my favorite subject, which is authentication. You know, as I look at cybersecurity strategies and talk to people about them. Again, one of the things that I see missing is authentication. This is the central, you know, on top of telecommunications, the central networking of understanding who and what is connecting to your uh, network. And so when I see kind of, you know, the absence of, you know, making sure that your domain controllers and whatever it is that's handing out DNS or IP addresses, um, um, you know, included as part of your health uh, health checkup. It's like saying, you know, getting a uh, getting a physical and just kind of skipping over the heart, right? That's a huge part of what it, uh, what keeps that uh, that thing alive. And so, you know, one of the conversations I had with somebody about directory services, and they said, "Well, you know, it just is what it is." And um, they are aware that there are some things in that there that are kind of scary. And if you've never done a directory services assessment. It can be scary. It's a little bit like staring into the mouth of the Hydra, right? It's really scary in there because so many of us over time who are in IT are have inherited, you know, directory services or active directory from many, many, many hands that have had their hands in the pot. And what we, what you will find, or you could find, I hope you don't, is that you'll have you know, users with, uh, you know, obsolete profiles. Where are these people and why haven't they signed in in a long time? Do they even work here? Where did all these privileged accounts come from? You know, how did this person get this level of permission? And those nested, nested, nested security groups that we don't know how they got that way, uh, but we need to peel away the onion of how it got to to be that way without breaking anything. So again, I you know use the airplane analogy a lot. It's like changing the wiring out of a plane that's already flying. It's difficult to do without causing business interruption. You have to peel away the layers of the onion in order to do that. But you know those are the kind of the the gotchas, if you will, and you know something that when I say this causes 
kind of a, a religious war, so, so to speak, is mail enabled security groups, right? Which are not supported in, you know, the cloud version of, to the best of my knowledge, last time I knew in Office 365 or Exchange. And so, you know, how do you, how do you manage all of that? And of course, again, I could spend a whole webinar talking least privilege, but, you know, if you are in IT and you don't have upper and lower credentials, you're not, you know, daytime Renita who checks her email and makes meetings and approves purchase order should be different than privileged Renita who is doing some sort of administration, you know, in Active Directory or on physical devices or anything that requires any additional security privileges to be able to do to be able to do your work. So we spent a lot of time talking about one through eight. Tony, I'd like to ask for you to talk about, if you would, the importance of, you know, the foundation of a security infrastructure, uh, which is uh, procedures. And then, of course, you know, as we go through this, one of the things that I noticed right off the right off the bat is we're not talking about the talent. And what I'm proposing that we do today is flip the table. And what I think when you um, do an infrastructure assessment is you should be starting with your talent. Why is that? That's because who you have on your team, the skills that they have, the capabilities that they have, the leadership um, um, qualities that they that they have developed is should be front of mind as you go through all of these elements of infrastructure assessment. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I refer to you call them procedures. I refer to it as governance just because that is kind of how it's been framed up for me, you know, since I've been in the, in the security space, I, of course, spent most of my career focused on IT. And then, you know, 10 years ago when cyber became a thing in the gaming industry, right? After the Sands Bethlehem, everybody all of a sudden knew what cybersecurity should be, right? And so I think back in those days, it was a lot of IT people trying to figure out how to secure the environments that they've been implementing and supporting for years. And I think that out of the gate, we probably skip the governance piece. And we just said, well, let's take all the things we've been doing and then add some security aspects to it. But the reality is that if you really want to be successful for it, you need governance slash procedures in place out of the gate. To your point back on the risk slide, how are these things playing together, right? What are we doing with them? How should we be prioritizing them, right? What are the rule sets, the configuration that we should be putting on these things as we start implementing, right? And if you got to go backwards and do it, it's not the end of the world, it, a little bit like the airplane in midair, but not to say that you can't go back and do that. Governance is crucial, right? If you don't understand the why you are doing something, the what and the how is irrelevant in my opinion. That's all my own perspective. So I think it's really crucial that you spend time on governance. If you have the luxury of having a separate IS department from your IT department, which again, most people don't, I had the luxury of having that not out of the gate, but in my last role, I did. And so if, if that is the case, and even if they're consolidated to one team, you have to appreciate the governance aspect and how it dictates what happens on the operational side of infrastructure management, right? It is really key. And I think for a lot of technical people who've been around and in the business for a long time before cybersecurity became like so well known to all of us, for a long time, it was 
well, we're doing the best that we can. And what's wrong with what we've been doing? And really, it's you don't know what you don't know. But once you do, you need to act and you have to think differently, right, if you're going to progress. And I think that things have become so challenging for us in the cybersecurity space and the bad actors. You know, this is a full time job for them now. Right. It is not a full time job for us. It is a part time job for us. Right. And so really important, not just in the cyberspace, but in general. Right. But I, I mean that in general for a governance standpoint is you really got to understand how all these technologies play together, how they are going to add value to your to your operations. Right. I always say there are no IT projects. Right. We are enablers of everybody else, right? We we set the foundation, we give them the tools that they can use to be successful. But at the end of the day, our responsibility is to figure out how they all meet together, right? And how they're going to bring maximum value as well as be secure for our organizations. Not an easy feat. Back to the talent piece. And we'll talk about it, you know, as we move through a little bit more. Talent is the most important thing of everything on this. When Renita and I are working on this deck, it was in a different order. And I said, well, it's interesting that your numbering is like it is because isn't talent the first thing we have to talk about? She had it as number one, but on the slide, it was in a different place. And what we talked about is most people think about infrastructure, just like you said, as the tactical aspects, the equipment, the software, the pieces. But in reality, everything is about the people. If you don't have the right people in place and if you don't have solid processes established, the technology is not going to be of any value to you. And I say that a thousand times over. All, all of my people who have ever worked with me and even today when I interface with people, people process technology is the order of things, right? I just want people to remember that we're technologists at heart, Renita and I, but the reality is people first has to be the focus or else nothing else matters. Some folks that know me are totally saw this slide coming, right? <laughs> because, you know, we do, we, I feel like we harp on it sometimes, but we, you know, we do talk about people processing technology. There's a reason that it's in that order. You know, since we have been talking about this kind of the sacred trinity of things, right? People process like technology. We've since had a continuous improvement and those conversations around business aspect. Tony's made a great point, which is there are no IT projects. Everything is done or should be done in support of the goals of the business. And so, you know, taking all of those things together, that beautiful flower that forms in the middle, the intersection of all of those things coming together is about culture. And so I want to make sure that we stay on point for time and we talk about, you know, what that person first approach is going to look like. Again, we could talk about this all day, but we're going to go, Tony's going to take us through some of the highlights of what it takes to put yourself in a position to be person first. Okay, so there are a lot of words on this page. We won't make you read them all, but we'll give you the highlights, right? I think that when you're assessing your talent, right, or assessing what talent you need, first and foremost, you have to, you know, just like we talked about on the infrastructure side, the, the pieces and parts, the hardware and the software, same thing applies to the people. Take inventory of what your existing roles and responsibilities are, right? Being mindful of, number one, the operational aspect of your environment, the culture of your aspect. Are they really innovative? Are they happy with just status quo, right? Be mindful of those things because those things will dictate the skill set that you need in your team. The other piece I think is really important is remember that the role of IT people is evolving. I always say no longer gone are the days where IT people sit in the basement with their hoodies on and bang out code. That's not what we do. Right. 
mostly, I will say most of what we do is guest facing these days, right? We are solutioners. We, yes, we have to manage all the hardcore infrastructure. We still configure switches. Some of us do and build servers and things like that. But a large majority of what IT people should be doing is focusing on how we are bringing value to the business, right? And, and interacting on that side. So make sure that when you're looking at roles and responsibilities, you think about things like change management, especially if you're an innovative culture that likes to try new things. You need somebody who is in your team who can facilitate the flow of change management, the communication and project management, all those kind of soft skills that a lot of times we don't think about from a technical aspect. Um, and by, when you do that, you can look at job descriptions, review how you have them written. I do this all the time. Like old school JDs are gone, right? It's really more about competencies more than anything else. Laying out the expectations that you have for the person coming to the role. Yes, I can put on the qualifications that I needed to be, you know, seat. CTNAs and all these, you know, four letter certifications. But at the end of the day, I need them to have soft skills. You need to write that into your job description if that's something that you're looking for. If you want them to be a VMware expert, I would recommend you make it technology agnostic because things change so much, right? Just be careful of those things. The next piece is, you know, looking at for each role, what you need. Again, I've talked about soft skills. So, bigger picture kind of stuff. And then assessing their experience, right? The people that you do have on your team versus what you think you need. Again, we'll go to gap analysis. I'm kind of running through it now, but really keeping a good a good inventory for lack of any way to put it, skills that you have at your disposal, right? And Renita and I talked about this and I think she's gonna share. A lot of times we have our hiring managers in our group that hire for a specific role. I gotta go hire a systems engineer. I'm gonna go hire a network engineer. I'm gonna hire a project manager. And we only look at them for that. Really what we should be doing is we need to understand what the broad range of things that we're looking at and figure out, can are there other things that this candidate may have that may not be good for this role, but may good, be good for other roles. The other piece is when you have positions that come open, assessing your internal talent is equally as important as your external talent, right? I think that many times, again, hiring managers hire for their own verticals, right? The network guy looks at network skill set. The systems guy looks at systems skill set. Really getting them to understand what everybody on the team does is important because there may be times, especially when you have a decent sized organization. Again, we all don't have that luxury. I had the luxury of working in an environment where we had a large number of people. And anytime a position would come open, we would love to take internal talent and move them into other roles, help to grow our own talent. Right. But if you don't know what you have in your arsenal, you can't do that. I'll tell a little story. I think Renita has one to share too. We hired a person for a particular role. Uh, a very entry level position. And it turned out that unbeknownst to us, she had a skill set that was pretty unique, unique in our environment, of course, but we didn't realize it until she started putting it into practice in her role. Right. And it was a role that you would never think, I'll tell you, it was a provisioning role and, and she was creating scripts to automatically provision accounts. And the systems engineers found out and they were like, well, how do you know how to do that? We had no idea that we had somebody on our team that had all this amazing coding knowledge, really focused on that side of the world, not, not development of applications, but more on the things that we do from an automation standpoint on the system side. And then we wound up promoting her into a systems engineering role, which we, we had no idea she had that skill set. And we wouldn't have known that if we didn't have a culture where we like to get to know everybody in the group. And that's what happened. There was a skip level discussion going on. She happened to work at a cube adjacent to the systems engineers as well. 
right? And everybody has hallway conversations or I call them cube conversations. And it just so happens that they stumbled upon this unique talent that has really brought tremendous value to that group that we didn't even know was there. We didn't know we didn't know we could do that. So that's my story. I think Renita has one to share as well. Yeah. I think you know, same, same or similar stories that, you know, doing those skip level conversations, you know, one of the hidden gems that we found was a systems technician who had taken project management. In fact, she had taken the PMI project management course, but was just a little daunting, uh, kind of overwhelmed by facing, you know, taking the the PMP exam, which I can't blame her. It's, it's brutal, right? But anyway, but she was kind of, you know, tenuous about taking on a, a real project. So we partnered her with a seasoned project manager who just sort of supported her along the way. And she became, you know, an, you know, a project manager, if you will, out of one of those, you know, conversations where you just didn't know that that person had that skill because they were hired for a particular role, but they had broader skills than, you know, than you had originally realized. I don't want to spend too much time here because we are close on time. So yeah, just my last little piece, when we go back to the first piece about identifying what you want and modifying your job descriptions, know that there are other people in your organization that you need to be good partners with, i.e. your HR people. If you want to go start scrubbing JDs, you might want to make sure that you partner accordingly and collaborate and make sure you have their support and they understand what your bigger picture goal and vision is versus just going off and doing rogue HR work. Nobody likes rogue IT work. Nobody likes rogue HR work either. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. You know, one of the things that we wanted to make sure that we highlighted was, so, okay, I got to work on developing my resources. What do I have available now? Here are some of the resources that are available. Tony, take just a couple minutes here and talk about Tribal yep. Hub and Tribal Isaac. So hopefully those of you who are in attendance already know what Tribal Hub is. Michelle is, is from Tribal Hub and, you know, they have done an amazing job, I think, in 20, they've been in oh, 24 years because next year is going to be 25th anniversary, right? I think of Tribal Hub, Tribal Net specifically, but really an organization that has been focused on growing uh, the network on the tribal side and sharing of best practices and information and training and services and all types of things. And then they put on the Tribal Net event every year that I think many of you guys on the call have been to. And then Tribal ISAC a relatively newer organization that was set up two and a half years ago in an effort to improve the cybersecurity posture for all tribes across the country. And so I sit on the steering committee of that, really passionate about it. We are continuously growing that organization. We have monthly meetings. We we host an annual cybersecurity summit, and we are continuing to try to help, again, improve the security posture overall for tribes. So if you're interested in that, um, Renita or I or Michelle can get you hooked up with Tiffany, who is the person who handles all membership on that side. Same for Tribal Hub. Michelle can help you if you want to join if you're not a member. So one thing I wanted to point out is that, you know, one of the resources that I kick the tires on is Infotech Research Group has a wonderful cybersecurity workforce development module that's available. ISC Squared, which is where the CISSP credential comes from, is offering free access to their certified cybersecurity online self-paced training and an exam voucher for anyone entering the field for the first time. This is their commitment to 1 million CISSPs by, I forget what the date is, but it's certainly a, a commitment there. You know, as we all talked about a minute ago, you should be negotiating your contracts to make sure that you have learning credits in each of your enterprise agreements with your major vendors. 
cybersecurity grant was just as uh, number six in there, just announced the notice of funding where cybersecurity resources are available to tribes as part of that grant application. And they framed it out, I think, in a pretty nice way using something called the NICE framework. Um, of course, Microsoft has free fundamentals. This one is a surprise to, I think, Tony, because she was very interested by University of Alabama was awarded a grant. $4.6 million to fund something called CyberCore and Bridge to Cybersecurity. This is a renewal of a grant, so they got even more than they did the last time. Google offers a $10,000 scholarship. And of course, the critical infrastructure folks in MSISAC have, have cybersecurity training that's available free online as well. We'll try to get you the hyperlinks to all of those resources. But these, these are only 10. I got to spend a whole session on, you know, here's all the resources that you have available to you. But, you know, obviously, in the interest of time, we can't go through all of that. Michelle, if you could just kind of read some of the question. Yeah, we uh, we actually had a comment, Matt Moon just noted that you should be paying, <clears throat> paying your annual penetration test team to try to get to and own your own backup infrastructure. If you guys want to just maybe talk about that point a minute, I think that'd be a good conversation topic. Yeah, I think what he's saying is penetration testing standpoint, they used to just try to get through the front door, right? And now that you should be testing to make sure that they can't get to your backups and uh and start messing with them. Hopefully I answered the question and that's the point that he was trying to make. Yeah, I'll say on penetration tests, don't be afraid of penetration tests, right? This is why you spend good money on it. You want people to come in and identify the gaps for you, right? Don't be afraid of it. Don't be ashamed of it. The reality is this, this is what these people do for a living. It's not about whether or not they'll be able to break into your environments about how long it's going to take them, right? Because that's the reality of how it works. But embrace pen testing, right? Have them, you know, have them try everything, have them try to break in everywhere, right? And I can tell you, sometimes you want to mix it up on what you have them focus on, but absolutely it's to simulate what the bad actors could do. And you want to know in advance where the holes are that you can button up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow for some folks is just yeah. saying, okay, tell me how bad it is, right? But you can't fix what you don't know, right? And I've, you know, run into lots of folks where they said, you know, nope, we got it all covered. We're, you know, cyber strong and nobody's going to attack. And then the next thing you know, they're point, you know, they, they probably fare very well. There will might be a couple of things, especially those things that you don't have care, custody and control over, right? Those third party systems that we talked about that. While you don't own them, you still are, you know, accountable for them being cyber resilient. I will say if you pass a pen test with flying colors, you need to go find another provider. <laughs> I'm serious about that, right? There's always something that somebody misses. And especially if you deal with the same pen test provider for multiple years, they know your environment. They're humans, right? They get a cut, they get comfortable right? It is a good idea to mix up your pen testers on a frequent cadence, have them focus on different things when they come in. I agree with that. And, you know, one thing I want to, you know, just kind of comment on is that, you know, be very discerning when it comes to hiring a pen tester, um, because some folks uh, will try to, you know, sell vulnerability scanning as a penetration test. They are not the same and they have different outcomes and objectives. So just be, you know, be mindful of that. But 
But I think it's probably time for us to wrap up. Thank you, Tony. Okay. And thank you, Michelle, for making this all happen. I think yeah. that's a wrap. For information on today's podcast, click on the show notes. If you have a story to share or a topic you'd like to see covered, reach out to our team on LinkedIn or email contact us at tribalhub.com. See you soon.